Hello and welcome to the F1 Strategy Report for 2018. My name's Michael Amanato and this is Round 5, the Spanish Grand Prix. Lewis Hamilton dominated in Barcelona on a day drivers simultaneously struggled with their tyres but persisted with standard one-stop strategies. Sebastian Vettel, however, broke the mould and stopped twice, and he lost second and third places as a result. To look back on exactly the kind of Spanish Grand Prix we all expected even before the race began, I'm joined by Peter Anderson from theredline.com.au. Peter, how are you doing? I'm really well. How are you, Michael? Look, I'm doing as well as we can be after... Well, we had to come down eventually, didn't we? You know, we had Azerbaijan. <laughs> it's very exciting. Yep. And um, look, we Spain, we always knew it was round five, and, and here we are. And here we are. Uh, the Grand Prix de España de Bora. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> to give it its full title. It's <laughs> Catalan title, I believe. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> oh, political. Yeah, well, see if that ever gets followed up. I'm shocked that it wasn't immediately, considering the... The history of weird political manoeuvres in Formula One. But. Well, well, I don't. I don't think Bernie's that was that fussed about dictators. To be perfectly <laughs> honest with you, I mean, you, you saw on the Azerbaijani podium the first lady of Azerbaijan, and also, amazingly, she's also the vice president. So, oh no, it gets better. So, a quick. A quick scan of Wikipedia mm. turns out that Parliament last year, 2017, mm. passed um, the law that there, there should be a vice president, oh. and she was immediately appointed to the role. Oh, it seems very democratic. It's and, 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 and guess whose discretion uh, the vice president is, uh, the role of vice president is bestowed? Surely a vote of the people. <laughs> it, well, you'd think so, but it turns <laughs> out, it turns out the president who inherited the presidency from his father... <laughs> was able to bestow that particular honour on mm. his wife. So, yeah, as in many respects, yeah, Spain is a come down in all respects. It really um, is. I mean, well, well, but I don't know. Hey, we're going to have an illegal referendum. Yeah. We're going to Well, uh, look, actually I should be careful. It was illegal in the eyes of Madrid, yep. but the Catalans I actually was there not long after the Oh, really? Well, not long before. Yeah, not long after the referendum, yeah. You brought calm to the region, did you? I was in Valencia. Uh, and there are a lot of lot of flags flying, and um, not uh, no Pujamons. <laughs> so anyway, sorry, we, I I have taken us off on on a, on a journey you probably would. Expect no, well, it. it's a it's a journey we'll have to go on at some point, isn't it? Because uh, this journey's only going to last <laughs> so long to describe how Lewis Hamilton dominated the Spanish Grand Prix. Well, I was going to say we are kind of ignoring <laughs> why we for a good reason. It's all for a good cause. All for a good uh, cause. Yeah, I mean, at it, it, it very minimum. It was, well, okay, it was a chapter in the championship. Probably an important one if you're Lewis Hamilton or Mercedes, given this is the first time since Australia, another barnstorming Grand Prix, mm. that they really looked comfortable and confident. Yes. Uh, and certainly compared to Ferrari, which was really out of the picture for most of the weekend. Uh, couldn't even get onto the podium by the end of it and ended with not one, but two engine failures for the course of the entire weekend. So you know it's been a productive productive couple of days for the Scuderia. We'll get to the race itself yep. in yep. a moment. Uh, but the weekend started, interestingly enough, with controversy um, mm. to do with the tyres, because it always does, doesn't it? Um, yeah. Certainly when there's not much else to look forward to this weekend. Who'd be and- a tyre supplier to Formula One? <laughs> And sign on multiple times. <laughs> the matter of 0.4 millimetres thinner tread oh. for the Spanish Grand Prix. Who would have thought such a small amount could be so controversial? Well, Ferrari did. And uh, their 
calling it at least one of the reasons that their performance was so poor this weekend mm. compared to how it has mm. been over the first couple of rounds of the season. Yes. I mean, you, you sort of say it correctly. Who would be a tyre supplier? Pirelli can't win here. On the no. one hand, they're trying to make a safety change. And then on the other hand, everyone accuses them of bias towards Mercedes. Yeah, which I think is unfounded. I don't think that's particularly fair on Pirelli. I mean, mm. I'm, I'm not entirely convinced it's a full-on safety thing, but I think it was an attempt to even the playing field out, perhaps. Not not necessarily in Mercedes' favour, but just generally kind of across the field, and it doesn't seem to have worked because there were teams all over the place still unable to warm the tyres up. I mean, I, I think this track suited Mercedes, so let's see how we go over the next couple of races. But, yeah, look, I, the thing about Formula 1 is... If if it's a if it's a measurement change of microns or tenths of a millimeter or something, it, there's an exponential reaction. Mm-hmm. If something massive is happening, like oh we're going to go back to the V8s, everyone would go oh well, <laughs> can't do anything about it. Whereas which is probably slightly understating how that would go, but you know something really tiny like you know 0.4 of a millimeter on the tires and oh boy up everyone goes. So yeah, Formula One's Formula One's an odd world. It's one of the reasons I really like following it for all this political intrigue. Mm, it is. It's a it's a facet of it. I think what... This is something that sort of annoyed me for the last couple of years when we describe um, form over a long period of time. Certainly it's been the case uh, over the first five rounds of this season where we say, well, you know, you've got to wait till you get to a, a representative circuit to really analyse yeah. you know, the performance order and all that kind of stuff because, you know, you start with Melbourne, China's a little bit weird, Bahrain's kind of normal, but it's at night and it's in the desert <sighs> and Azerbaijan, no one should have invented that circuit, no. really. And yet we did. And then you get to Spain. But now Spain has what is increasingly commonly appearing in Formula 1 for a whole host of reasons, this super smooth asphalt that kind of makes it almost like a non-surface, like the tyres never work on them, no one really likes it, there's no grip, and you see this in all new circuits, and partly this is down to, you know, circuits wanting to run MotoGP and they like smooth surfaces and a whole bunch of reasons, but are we at risk of losing what? Are we at risk of losing that kind of circuit that that is um, telling of performance, that general circuit that we all hang out for and say, this is when we'll really find out what Formula One's like this year. No, well, see, I don't think Barcelona is the kind of yardstick, really, because that's what they do all mm. their testing. So for everyone blithering on about how awful the surface is, and da, 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 oh, let's do all our <laughs> testing there. And the teams go, oh, well, this is, this is exactly what I was just <laughs> talking about. Like, testing is a big deal, right? And um, it's a bigger deal than probably 0.4 of a millimetre on a tyre or whatever it was. And um, they go, oh, yeah, let's do it at a track everyone hates. <laughs> oh, good. Now, that seems sensible. And everyone's like, yeah, yeah, let's do it at Barcelona. Do it at Barcelona? Yeah, sure. Why don't we do it at Barcelona? <laughs> I mean, look, the food's good. <laughs> we can't argue with that. The weather is better. In, I mean, they could go testing at any time during the season. I understand the, the, the pre-season testing. But then again, Portugal mm-hmm. could do Bahrain, somewhere like that. But, yeah, no, don't they go to Barcelona, and then we get this inevitably dull race. It only mm-hmm. very occasionally is spiced up by something silly. So, yeah, look, I don't blame the track itself. It's just that Formula One goes to that track, tests there, and then we just get a procession mm. and we end up there. It's true. I mean, they talk about how many laps they do here, not in the preseason, but it's also that um, the, the testing benchmark they use in simulators. So yeah. it's rare to see anyone make a mistake unless you're Romain Grosjean and you're on the first <laughs> lap. Um, so that was pretty much the only really genuinely sort of show-stopping thing that happened in this race. Yeah, um, We can talk about qualifying in the context of the battle for the lead in a moment, but this is what... 
was the major talking point because what an unusual a what an unusual thing for a driver to do to keep your foot in that kind of situation but also yeah. five in a row really poor results for at least one of the Haas cars some of mm. them have been Roman's fault others have been Kevin's fault others have been the team's fault but yeah. for him to end five races like that with no points in what is the fourth fastest car in Formula 1 it's not not a great result it's ludicrous and I think um, I I thought Grosjean was better than that. I mean, he, ch- he just chucked away the Azerbaijan mm. Grand Prix. I mean, how silly was that? But that's, again, why the tyres so hard to warm <laughs> up. Uh, but, yeah, so he, he, he clonked the wall there pretty hard. And then, look, I don't think it... The accident, it's, the, the initial part of his drama wasn't all his fault because Kevin... Was it Kevin mm-hmm. who was in front of him, yeah. Magnuson? Yeah, it just popped in front of him and he lost all his downforce and, and he looped it. But then, yeah, to stick his foot in. Like, he's not James Bond. <laughs> he's not being chased by by some ultra-villain where he requires a smokescreen. He wants everyone to see where he is because then he got, got clobbered. So I felt terribly sorry for Gasly and Hulkenberg. I mean, Hulkenberg was another one who tossed it off the road in Azerbaijan. But... Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I felt really sorry for both of them because what are you going to do with that? Mm. It's just it was pretty dumb. I, um, I, I look. I used to find Grosjean mad, uh, but you know he's matured over the years and he could be great. But well, well, maybe not great, but he could be <laughs> really, really good. Uh, and he just keeps doing dopey things. It's a curious situation when Jolly and Palmer's giving you driving advice, but that's, uh, <laughs> that's where Romain Grosjean oh, is today. Yeah. We'll see if he can rebound yeah. from that. He's got time. He's got at least uh, the rest of the year. Well, yeah, you know, I mean, that's that's pretty tough to come back from. Mm. Yeah, but, you know, he's <laughs> he's come back from some pretty significant things in the past, hasn't he? So, Well, let's all remember. Let's have a, quiet, <laughs> let's have a moment to remember <laughs> Belgium a few years ago. Yeah. Where he wiped out everybody. Mm. In some respects, you know, I actually think this incident was worse than Belgium. Like, I, I occasionally look back to Belgium and I... The, the shock of that one was how significant the carnage was, right? Like, you had a car in the yeah. air rolling over Fernando Alonso's Ferrari. And then this one, obviously, lower-profile drivers. It was a dangerous accident given the smoke screen, mm. but the actual contact was not so bad. No. But he... he and it's a three-grid-place penalty for Monaco, and there were some points added to his licence. But in some respects... I mean, I don't know if they just feel like he's more mature now in general, so such a punishment is not warranted. But I would argue that this is actually a worse accident than Spa. Yeah, um, I don't know. It just it just seemed inexplicably silly, didn't it? Mm. To to just stick your foot in like that. It, it's it just felt like a, a a Verstappen moment more than anything. Not even Max has done something that dumb. <laughs> um, there was a bit of Maldonado about it, you know, <laughs> something really dumb. <laughs> the spirit of Maldonado is strong in Spain, I think. <laughs> That's right. Has Pastor Maldonado crashed yet? Dot com. Yeah. <laughs> now, ahead of Grosjean, ahead of all that crash, were our um, victory contenders, Lewis Hamilton mm. chief amongst them. There was a safety car for that crash, of course, which did play into, and in some cases should have played into, strategy calls for this race yeah. um, but to, to have a look at how everybody started this race just about everybody started on the soft tyre the super soft tyre didn't have the endurance mm. was performing unusually inconsistently no one could really get much more pace from it than the soft tyre mm. so much so that some dr- 
drivers in Q3 preferred the soft um, in their final qualifying laps in the top 10. Uh, And this should have opened the door. As we talk about everybody knows Spain, we also know it's very difficult to to overtake there. So this should have opened the door to a one-stop race. And so we had Lewis Hamilton, who from this point had pretty much won the Grand Prix because he was sprinting away after that safety car. But Mm. the only point of tension was that battle for second place because Sebastian Vettel had jumped Valtteri Bottas on the line. And despite the fact that Bottas had a faster car, it wasn't fast enough to pass on a on a track like this and we these types of cars and so we had this interesting strategy duel and and sebastian vettel was the one who blinked first ferrari thought they would commit to not being undercut and that's really what ultimately decided this race that's when the race was over wasn't it really as far as ferrari was concerned because you knew they were two stopping Mm -hmm. and mercedes just went well if we're not (laughs) if we weren't one stopping before we are now Mm -hmm. and i you know i don't understand why they stopped so early because they had all those free laps behind the safety car. So they must have been super marginal on tyres if they were still that keen to stop so early. Mm-hmm. I find Ferrari get a little bit kind of dumbstruck, as in struck by dumb rather than <laughs> silent. Um, when these kind of... When, when these races kind of turn out like this, they kind of go, oh, we said we'd two-stop and we should just two-stop and we're just going to keep doing it. It feels like Williams in the mid-90s. It's like, oh, well, we've screwed up again. Oh, dear. Um, and, and you know, I'd, Vettel was probably part of the call. He didn't go, nah, I'm staying out. And not and, and Kimi didn't, didn't object when he was pulled in either. So, you know, I just, it just felt, like they had they had decided they were going to do stick to that no matter what for whatever reason and of course there's there are so many things that we don't know about that goes on at the team but yeah it just feels like they just got completely outsmarted by Mercedes yeah just and they were on the back foot with you know engine dramas and you know Vettel was probably psyched out by um missing the first corner at uh, on that restart in Azerbaijan and, you know, he threw it away his championship lead. And, you know, I, I think it's probably Hamilton's now regained the upper hand psychologically. It seems like that, but it's such a shame, surely, for Sebastian Vettel. A, yes, he, pit, he pitted so early, but then he was given what seemed like a lifeline because mm. Mercedes couldn't uh, overcut is the, the yeah. strategic phrase, I suppose, where they left Bottas out for a couple of extra laps. And because tyre warm-up was so poor, mm. he had superior pace on those used tyres compared to Sebastian Vettel on on the new mediums. And mm. he had a bit of a slow stop. He had a bit of trouble with, I think, that it was the right rear tyre mm. and then emerged behind Sebastian Vettel. So that could have been, had Ferrari been able to execute the one stop, the the second place there. But of course, as you said, it had already committed them to a two-stop race. And yeah. I mean, it would have been interesting to see if Ferrari had overestimated how much they were chewing through the tyres because, I mean, Kimi Raikkonen retired on lap 25, I think it was, with an engine problem, a turbo problem, mm. but hadn't stopped yet and was ahead of Max Verstappen. So you can't help but feel that maybe that could have ended up being their opponent, of course, if they'd allowed Kimi Raikkonen to score that podium is another question, but there could have been something on the cards for Ferrari, perhaps, had they been a little bit more ambitious with the tyres. Absolutely. Yeah, no, it just, it, like I said, I just think it just feels like um, they went in with this idea and just fluffed it. Or, or just stuck to it more than actually, which I think is worse. <laughs> you can compare it to a degree. I mean, we heard so much talk on team radio, and of course we don't hear all the team radio, but of Mercedes trying to figure out whether they would one or two stop based on what they required for the cars they were battling, where 
you never really got that sense with Ferrari. Yeah, like you say, they were committed to this pretty much from the beginning. They were waiting for something to possibly happen to give them some cover to stop. Uh, and yep. that second stop was made by Esteban Ocon pulling to the side of the road. But the yep. worst part was there still could have been that podium position on offer. But then Sebastian Vettel made his own mistake here and he bungled uh, coming into that pit box, overshot his marks. Yes. There was a problem with the yep. tyres. 5.6 seconds sounds very quick, but it's an eternity in Formula One. Well, it is, especially at the moment. That's two and a bit stops. Yeah, well, exactly. It was, really, right. it was a three-stop strategy for Sebastian Vettel. <laughs> it was, just without that extra run down the pit lane. Look, mm. uh, again, I, I think that that's an odd mistake for a multiple world champion to make to slide past his stop. So it just they just felt like the, the whole team just didn't feel like they were gelling mm. um, the whole weekend, which must be absolutely horrendous to be a part of. Um so it'd be interesting to see, you know, what happens in Monaco, whether they can get their act together and um, and just put it all behind them. Because I'm just, it, like, you can set your stopwatch at after a performance like that. Marchione <laughs> pipes up and says something stupid like, whoa, we'll just sack a river bene. It's like, ah, come on. So I'm waiting for that to happen. Um, or someone to somehow blame Kimi Ryan. <laughs> you know, there's always that. That'll be at the end of the year, I think, when his contract's up. Then maybe someone will find a reason to blame him for something. But oh, as, as long as the blame for Raikkonen ends up putting Ricardo in that seat, I'm a happy camper. Because mm. not only will that annoy Sebastian Vettel, it'll annoy <laughs> Max Verstappen. And I think that'll be brilliant. I wouldn't be too surprised. I wouldn't be too surprised yep. if indeed uh, Ricardo yes. found his way into that seat sooner rather than later. It would be tremendous. What's really interesting with the Ferrari situation here is we were talking after Azerbaijan about that move that you mentioned at the, at the mm. first term where Sebastian Vettel threw away second place. So, you know, we don't know what going to happen in that skirmish but let's say second place more or less uh, scored fewer points and then of course Lewis Hamilton uh, lucked into winning that race and he didn't seem that unhappy Sebastian Vettel after the race because I suppose he knew after the first four races that the Ferrari was the faster car on a variety of mm. circuits you know, Azerbaijan's all about power and Ferrari were there they scored mm. pole they had it all nutted out and then you come to a race like this and not only have they already given up control of the championship but he's sort of realised that when Mercedes can pull it together, because they hadn't pulled it together over the last couple of races, mm. then Ferrari is still not as polished as they are after winning all of these championships. And you do feel like this could be one of those really decisive moments in the championship all of a sudden. Yeah, yeah, I think so. And, you know, I, I don't like to call a championship this early, but for Mercedes to come back from such a dud place that they were at before... Hamilton crossed the line in um, Azerbaijan mm-hmm. to such to returning to that dominant. Oh goodness me, we have to watch this kind of performance. <laughs> and look, don't get me wrong; like there is all, there's often so much going on in the mid pack that we just don't see on TV. Mm-hmm. But if you're able to kind of dig through the figures, you see what's going on back further. Um, but yeah, it, it could be that because Ferrari does seem to be easily psychologically crushed. It's like. Mercedes has this kind of Steve War. Those who aren't familiar with Steve War, he's a cricketer who used to say terrible things to people under his breath and really get under their skin. Um, uh, like that whole. So he wasn't a sledger in, in in cricket, which means you know he didn't shout out, "Oh yeah, you and I saw your mum last night at the bar." He was more of this. He 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 did mental disintegration, and that's what. Mercedes always do. It's just that they always do it so efficiently and quickly and, and, and really grind everyone down. But um, 
the turnaround at Barcelona um, was striking. And that's that really seems to knock Ferrari off balance. And I think partly because of the internal politics of the place. You know, companies are... You can tell what a company's like when the head pops out in the media and starts... And, and puts his own company on trial in the media. Mm-hmm. And that's what Marchioni does. He hasn't done it yet, but he'll do it soon <laughs> yeah. enough. We'll say at the time of recording. At the time of recording, yes. <laughs> <laughs> to sort of cap that one off, because yes, it was striking. It was certainly more than a, a 0.4 millimetre sort of thrashing that Mercedes gave to Ferrari. I thought it was interesting when the, you go through this excuse-seeking phase. And I think to be fair to Ferrari, after the race, they didn't come out and say anything like, well, you know, of course it was just the tyres and this is it. They all sort of said there needs to be a lot of analysis after this race. But I thought Vettel throwing out this interesting line where he felt that the virtual safety car had a loophole built into it, whereby drivers could take unusual lines to gain time. But a lap time's a lap time. Mm. So I don't know where he's going on with that. This is classic Vettel tossing his toys out of the pram when (laughs) When it doesn't all go his way. At least he didn't go and run into somebody. Mm. Um, yeah, that's a really odd take, uh, which I think should be dismissed as post-race idiocy. <laughs> it's the kind of thing he apologises for later down the track <laughs> when he realises... Because he, re- he realises that, oh, that's actually not going... that Mathematically, that doesn't check out. Mm. So, yeah, no, I think he'll come to his senses on that one with anyone. Yeah. That's more or less most of the strategy that happened in this race, but I do want to pick up on (laughs) a couple of other drives that are worthy of note, Uh, not necessarily for their strategy, but merely because they managed to navigate the relatively uh, sedate race and still make up some pretty good positions. Yep. Uh, Fernando Alonso isn't one of them, despite the fact he normally is here. He yep. scored points again with a car that uh, is yeah. sort of a point scorer, more or mm. less there, certainly when he's driving it. Certainly with Haas in front of him. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, you talk about Haas and Renault in front of him. Well, you know, yeah, it sort yeah. of says everything you need. But successive points for Charles Leclerc in Sauber, I think, is an important one. Um, to point out here. This is the most successive point scores I think Sauber scored. I can't even remember the year, but it was a long time ago, suffice to say. Probably since Kibitza was there. Yeah, just about. And after the f- a scrappy opening couple of races, which really should have been expected for a rookie, he's really starting to deliver. Mm. And to be fair, against Marcus Ericsson, who has lifted his game this year, not to maybe any great lofty heights, but has nonetheless had to defeat his teammate. And yeah. there's another big result for him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I... I... You know, I, I don't follow the, the junior formula enough, uh, but Leclerc is certainly... He's looking pretty good for the future, isn't he? Mm. He really is. So, yeah, and uh, look, just back to Fernando. He's still... One of the things I love about Fernando Alonso is he, when he's got a car that's going to finish the race, he drives his heart out. Mm. And that, that pass around the outside was a joy to watch because it was sketchy. Like, on the onboard... <laughs> <laughs> like there was a lot of work going on there at the wheel, and he he pulled it off, and it was terrific. And he was he was blowing with, he was blowing with Leclerc, wasn't mm-hmm. he? Or was it? Yeah, and like, so that was. That was really good fun to watch. I really enjoyed that. And it's worth noting, I mean, we briefly mentioned the virtual safety car. There was a good... If there is one trick you can use with the safety car, which it seems like he used quite effectively, and I think it was against Leclerc just after the virtual safety car towards the end, is that if you go slower than that delta time for, let's say, you know, two corners, Mm. then it means you can go faster than the delta time at the next two corners because all that matters is that you bounce it out by the end of the lap. So if you're coming onto the back straight and you've been going slow, through the chicane you can 
hit the accelerator earlier as the VSC ends and mm. sort of catch the guy in front of you off guard, which I think is how he managed to get past Leclerc so quickly after the VSC. He essentially caught him napping with a little trick. So, you know, that's maybe what Sebastian Vettel should have been pointing to more than these mystery lines he was yeah, considering. And, and look, they, these are the sorts of little strategic tactical things mm-hmm. that Vettel doesn't really... You know, someone like Michael Schumacher would, mm. and, and you know, with Ross Braun and those sort of brains behind him, would have said, oh, well, if we do this, 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 and this, and when we know the VSC is going to end, if you do this, you'll pick up this this advantage. Mm-hmm. And um, it's the sort of stuff that Ferrari misses now. And I wonder, you know, I, I you can't doubt Vettel's work ethic. I just don't think he's got the brain in the car that even Daniel Ricciardo has. Mm-hmm. or Like, he really is... He, sometimes he just has days where you think he's Nigel Mansell. <laughs> he, he just... He just puts in a dud, boring performance, gets out of the car, blames somebody else, looks for Nelson Piquet to start a fight, and then, you know, like, it it just kind of makes... It, it just has that Mansellian kind of wo- woe is me about him sometimes. Just sometimes. Mm-hmm. He usually comes to his senses, but, um, you know, and one of the reasons I say that is I've been researching... Um, the 92 season mm-hmm. and listening to Nigel Mansell moaning <laughs> like a it's like oh sometimes Vettel sounds like that just without the accent <laughs> well he does sometimes think that he's British doesn't he so maybe this is where he's yeah that's channeling that from a final note which possibly is unusual and I'm not 100% certain that it's as deserved but to Lance Stroll who finished behind Charles Leclerc same strategy and these both these drivers stopped on lap 20 so ran relatively long stints mm. in fact only one lap shorter than the stint Bottas ran on the medium so that makes them equal second longest on much more than these tyres should have been capable mm. of that Williams car was a real dog this weekend oh. there's no way to say Robert Kubica got out of an FP1 and said he was embarrassed to have driven it <laughs> and yes of course there were retirements in front of him and all this kind of stuff but considering that Sergei Sorotkin who of course is a rookie so you've got to add that but then Lance Stroll isn't that much more experienced Sergei Sorotkin had a pretty uh, a much worse race whereas Lance Stroll quietly went about it and kept it on on the grey stuff I think deserves a little bit of credit and what's a pretty awful yeah, year yeah, for him yeah, yeah no I, I think so oh, Claire Williams reckons they're going to turn this season around, but ooh, really, they should just when when the car's that bad, just give up and just make sure it's the wheels stay on, you know, and just and just hope that you're out of Roman Grosjean's way when he self-destructs. <laughs> maybe just slowly mental disintegration for Roman and gain places that way when he crashes yeah, out. Right. Maybe the only way. We talk about a race to pride of strategy. That could have been the one that would have worked for him. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> oh, poor old Roman. I do feel sorry for him. There are some drivers who do stupid things like that, and you go, eh, whatever. See, like, I don't mm-hmm. feel sorry for Max Verstappen when he does something stupid. I just kind of go, yeah, mm-hmm. well, you deserve that. Um, you know, whenever Max and drivers like him do something dumb, they, 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 they shout something at the pit that's really passive as though they weren't involved. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas Roman Grosjean just, oh, sorry, guys, I stuffed that up. You know, it's mm-hmm. I did this. It's never we or mm. it stuffed up. It, it, so I, I feel sorry for Roman because he clearly feels very deeply. And, and you know, the, the glove throwing at Azerbaijan, you know, he clearly was gutted and so mm. cranky with himself. Mm. Um, whereas there are other drivers who just get out and go, it wasn't my fault. Yeah. yeah. yeah it was. <laughs> that was totally your fault. So, yeah, I hope Roman can turn it around. I'd be, I'd be sorry for... Okay, I, I I I was totally wrong about Haas. I thought they'd be a USF one, mm-hmm. pump out a couple of three D printed toasters. <laughs> and the end, but, um, 
And, you know, I because they used all the same rubbish. Oh, we're a skunk works. We're going to do it all differently. In the end, they haven't really done it differently because mm-hmm. they, they've, they've been smart enough to set up a European base. But they've done a terrific job. And, and you know, all that jealous whinging about them being, you know, a, a customer team and blah, 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 blah. They've just done a great job with the with, with the rules. And, and I'd hate to see Roman throw his career away by being a goose. And I'd, I think, you know, I'd love to see the house starting to score more points mm. yeah, I'm sure they would too at this rate to oh they probably like it too there's probably some money in it for, I don't know it's Formula 1 there might be some money in it for them if they actually finish some races yeah well <laughs> on that bombshell of a summary of the Spanish Grand Prix uh, it's been a pleasure to talk about it with you but you've got some big things coming of course working on the red line after this yes. after this thrilling summary of a, of a strategically masterstroke of a Grand Prix you've got something else going on on the side yeah so for those of you who are very keen-eared you'll know I'm talking to you from the back of a Hyundai i30N <laughs> I'm sure those of you who understand the uh, the acoustics of, a, of the i30 would know that I was there it's the quietest place because the house is currently in pieces um, yeah so I'm running uh, uh, theredline.com.au uh, which has a corresponding uh, YouTube channel so last week I actually had the pleasure of driving a Lamborghini Huracan Performante Ooh. so do please stop by the site um Subscribe to my YouTube channel because that means I can entice people to give me money to continue to do it <laughs> and continue driving cars like the Lamborghini Huracan Performante. Uh, and it would be tremendous to have car-loving and race-loving people along to uh, to enjoy the site. Uh, I work very hard on it and it's a labour of love, um, but... Yeah, it'd be lovely to have people come by and have a look at it. Absolutely. And the website, theredline.com.au. Pete's been a pleasure to talk about the Spanish Grand Prix with you. It's always a pleasure. That was Peter Anderson from theredline.com.au. The Strategy Report is a beer mogul podcast, and you can get every episode by subscribing on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you normally get your podcasts. And don't forget to leave a review to help other F1 fans find the show. You can also read the written report at f1strategyreport.com and stay up to date by finding us on Facebook and on Twitter. My name's Michael Aminato. You can find me at Michael Aminato on Twitter, and I'll catch you in two weeks' time for a wrap-up of the Monaco Grand Prix.